like a familial aspect to it because you're bringing in your peers from the music scene, but you also understand and trust them and believe them because they are looking at this and saying, Oh, I understand this stand your story. I understand your music. And that's why it works. Yeah. Because you're bringing in people that you trust and because they maybe didn't like go through or have the same family story, but they, they're able to understand it just like inherently. It's just like a thing that, you know, musicians do. And like, that's, that's what is impressive about musicians to be able to kind of like, if you're just like, a like, Oh, I play guitar, but I play guitar for like, so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so like that's, that's a talent, you know, you have to be able to read people basically. Yeah. And like, I, and, and being like, so on the, on the last, the last track on that album is sort of split in half. The first half is, I wrote a song for my mom to sing because my mom being with her musical background, I was like, you know what? Yeah. Let's have my, like, this is her family too. This is her story. So, and she has the musical talent and ability. And for the last six years, she's been dining out on the story about how she sang a song on her son's black metal album. Like she loves that shit. It's great. Um, But it, 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 it was like, okay, this is a good spot for, for her to 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 contribute and, and be on there. And then the the album finishes off with this like really proggy, solo-y kind of thing. And I I can't solo for shit, but my buddy Andy can. And he uh and I and I helped him do a lot put a, pull a lot of promo together for his uh his solo prog album when he came, when that came out. And so uh I said, hey, would you mind just going absolutely apeshit over this uh over this riff at the end of the album and he and he he did and so now i can say um i have a really kick-ass solo on that record because uh because i was uh smart enough to to have a friend come in and who could do it yeah and and it's it's like it's i wouldn't i don't want to i think dramatic is a bad descriptor to it but it it's like it just the whole package is just like this album that has a lot of depth and humanity to it. Yeah, it um, and yeah, like I, I, I if and at, at some point I had I think I had told people that like if this was the end of the project, if I went out on that album, I don't think I would have been disappointed because it was just sort of like no everything like whether or not. I mean, obviously, as the person sort of driving and pulling all the ideas and all the people together, that like, sure, I should take some credit for it, right? But without even being like, no, this was just the, recognizing the things outside of myself that that all came together for this to work, and uh, it was just like, yeah, no, this is cool. Uh, I when people talk about like the their inspiration, the songs just came out of me. Um, I don't always relate to that. Um, but that album was one where it was just like, no, everything just came together in a way that was like surprising to me even, um, well, which it's I'm like, forever grateful for. And it's like kind of the ultimate definition of fandom because you're like literally looking back at like your own family and building like this kind of incredible moving story about surviving on two different fronts, you know, like, I don't know, like, you know, like fandom is so cl- like, you know, is defined by being so close to a certain thing. And it's like, I don't know what gets closer than like dissecting your family lineage, you know? 
Yeah. That, uh, and then the, the, the fun thing that that, well, fun is a air quotes there, I guess that the thing that comes out of there is sort of the next, uh, question, which is now what, um, and, uh, and, and I think you mentioned beforehand that you, uh, you hadn't had a chance to listen to the second album, which is, is fine. Um, but if we want to talk about like, uh, where I am now musically and how, yeah, that sort of has I moved mean, away. with the EP yeah. that's coming out on Philip K discs, um, you know, this is a huge departure from your earlier work and yet it isn't yeah. because it still does exhibit those elements, those founding elements of like, you know, heavy music, black metal, doom metal. It's experimental. It's noisy. It has samples, but like, you know, I, I, I don't know really any other way to, to describe it because, you know, I look at like, I look at festival curations and, you know, it's almost fun. Like, even if you're not going to a festival to kind of like, look at like who's on the lineup and you say, Oh, that's a fucking great, lineup like i wish i could go to that but it's you know it's too far away i can't justify it whatever blah 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 and like you know listening to it i'm just like yeah this is like something i could see popping up at like the roadburn festival you know where it's like that crossbreeding of metal and experimental and heavy music so like what made you go to that route of like i want to do this sort of like very abrasive noise album well um so I'll talk about the second album real quick because it there's some stuff in there that I think leads up to the to the EP. Um, the second album was almost entirely myself. Um, there, there's uh, Jeremy, uh, who we talked about. He did uh, bass on mm-hmm. uh, on the last track. Uh, although that that track was actually originally meant for a different project we were working on and abandoned, and I reclaimed for for that album. Um, but otherwise, it was mostly me. And for me, the big step on the second album was I wanted to have someone else mix and master it. I wanted to say, okay, I want to take these ideas that I have and I think are good. I want to put them in someone else's hands. I want to see what someone else does with this. Mm -hmm. Um, And that ended up being Chris Voss, who, uh, like Jeremy, I have done so many projects with at this point, it would be too uh, long to go into them. But like right now we have a podcast together, for example. Uh, We put out several splits together. the uh and i said to chris i'd like you to to mix and master this and he took that very seriously and the idea for the second album was let's try and sort of let, let's let's tip our toes into sort of more experimental ambient stuff um the there weren't a ton of reviews that came out for the first album but there's it seemed like there were some people who were a bit hesitant on the, the middle track, which was the noise track um, that I did with my friend, Eric. And, uh, and despite that, uh, I was like, that's where I'd like to go. But like, let's try and do an album that's like sort of half that and half the stuff that I've been doing before and just try and like sort of go back and forth. It uh, um, at that time I was listening to like, uh, a lot of primitive man. Uh, yeah. And I, I just, I kind of like the big, huge, gross cave sounds that were just coming out of there. And I was like, what if we just did, like, could we do something like that? And the answer is no, I could not. <laughs> that was, yeah. that's not, didn't work out. 
Um, and so the, 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 the second iteration of that was, okay, well, let's do something that's more closer to what I have and then branching out into some more ambient stuff. Let's have that take up more of the album. And uh, as Chris was working on the mixes for the album, he said, you know, the stuff that you have on here that feels the closest, there's stuff on here that feels like you're actually going backwards in your evolution. Like this stuff feels like the stuff from the first EP. This doesn't even feel like the first album. And uh, we were, we, we had been struggling with like how to get those songs mixed and something, there were just things about it that weren't quite coming together. And his, he, Chris said, what if you could just cut those songs, come up with new stuff, just, just do like, and, and I thought about it and him telling me that gave me the permission to be like, maybe I don't need to have this be a metal album anymore. Um, and so the second album, the, the first and the last songs are song, like the first song is sort of like a, that's my, I would like to write an Opeth song. And I feel right. real strong about that one. Uh, the last song is much more of a sort of a, a post rock, post metal kind of thing. And I feel really good about that one. That was a, that was a, that was a strong choice, but that everything's that sort of like is uh, in between those two bookends is sort of, it, I wouldn't, there's parts of it that are harsh, but like largely it was just like, let's just see what else we can do. Um, and that, and, and I feel that the success of the second album was largely Chris telling me, just let, let that, let that stuff go. Like, don't, don't get hung up on this. And, uh, it was like the best advice I ever got because it allowed me to feel good about the second album when it came out. Um, because the, once, once he said that, the rest of it came together very quickly because I was able to like reframe how I thought about what music, what the music meant to me. And so I'd say, okay, well, I can actually go in this other direction. And while once that was fixed and I was waiting for the, um, I was waiting for the, for the mixes to come back and be finished, because uh, Chris, like me, has a day job, you know, he's got a, <laughs> we all have bills to pay. And so he's kind of yep. plugging away at this, uh, in addition to his own projects. Um, I was getting a bit antsy and I was still a bit nervous about like, I don't know, not that I doubted Chris, but I was just like, this is, this is a departure. I don't know how I feel about this. Um, and I was listening to a lot of the austerity program a band I had just started, I had just discovered the austerity program and I, and I was listening to a lot of them and they, the way that they were able to like turn their drum machines to almost panic inducing tempos. I was like, fuck, this is, this is cool. And this is intense. And I was also had some rather ill-considered ideas about like, what would it look like for me to try and perform live in not, not you're it's one man, black metal band like you have a laptop and a guitar and that's pretty much all you can do right but like if i could like have a rig with like live like where if i set up like loops and uh and pads and all that stuff like what would it look like for me to try my hand at doing not just like recording one instrument at a time but like actually like no let's set up all this stuff and have it all recording at the same time and have these be live takes um and that's where the first two tracks uh, came in. And especially with like the, fir the, the first two tracks with a lot of the really intense uh, drum machine stuff that came from listening to the austerity program. Um, and then at one point I had made a joke on Twitter about like someone should start a grindcore band that samples uh, the princess bride. <laughs> uh, and it got absolutely zero likes and zero retweets. So I was like, I'm pretty sure 
no one's going to steal this idea because no one else likes it, apparently. Uh, and so I, I threw those on there. And then I was like, you know what? This actually works. And then as I was thinking about it, thinking like, okay, well, these two songs, we put some samples on and it was fun, but like, what else could, what else from that movie would be good to sample? And then I started thinking about, okay, well, there's the Dread Pirate Roberts speech that Andre the Giant gives. There's the, I mean, the most iconic line is when Wesley falls down the hill and says, as you wish. Um, the, um, so I, and so what would I, what music would I want to write for that? And so the, 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 a, the track AYW, which is just short for as you wish, I stretched out the sample so that it's just him saying that as he's falling down the hill, but stretched out to a few minutes long and then added um, like synths and, and sounds and drones on top of that. And then of course, for the, the song No Survivors, which is the Andre the Giant one, I was like, this would be a fucking good doom song. So why not <laughs> just do make it a doom song? Um, and then lastly, the, 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 the track five, Odorless, that is- That was my that, favorite track on the record. Oh yeah? So the, the, the story behind that is that I, my brother is a drummer and he had done some, uh, he had done some bass on some of the early domestic home stuff. Like uh, uh, initially when we were trying to set up recording, like recording drums is, is costly and hard and expensive, but plugging a bass guitar into a, an, an, inter an interface is pretty easy. And so we did that. But at one point we actually had access to a mic'd up drum kit in a church where all the inputs were just like, I could just take my recorder, plug all the drum inputs, uh, take them out of the sound system and put them into my recorder. And we had ourselves like a more or less a, a drum kit. And so I said, hey, I, I came up with this four note piano loop. Uh, and I said, hey, just jam on this, man. You, you do whatever you want. Uh, and the stuff that he came up with was, it, I mean, he's, a, I, I, he's always been my favorite drummer. I, was, I mean, he's my little brother. I'm so proud of him, but like, he, he's legit. Like, I just would watch him drum forever. And when I came back to it, I was like, this is awesome. I have no idea how this is gonna work. Uh, and then I started thinking about the whole like, Ficini, like, this is what happens when you get into uh, land war with age, like just the, the, the intellectual, just like the smarts, the genius of the whole thing. And so mm -hmm. I was like, okay, well, fuck, like, let's just, just have that in between uh, stuff. And then of course I added some more like droney sounds on top of that. Um, and then, and then by that point I was like, you know what, I think I have an EP here. I think this is sort of like, it started out as I want to do live noise sets and then it kind of became something else. And then by the end of it, I was like, you know what? It's pretty good. I think I could, I could live with this. I could release this. Well, it's, <clears throat> I would strongly recommend people to check it out because I think it, I think it does a really good job of like branching that or uh, whatever, crossing that bridge between like, as I said, the heavy, the experimental and there's, there's depth, there's uniqueness to it, you know? And I think that, you know, your roots allowed you to allowed you to to give birth to this thing. Those two genres like black metal and doom metal, coupled with your appreciation for like Townsend and his experimental approaches, like that's kind of what culminates in this in this EP eventually. Like, do you just think that those those genres were going to allow that to kind of like that was going to be it, the inevitable evolution? 
I, I mean, part of, uh, part of my experience of relating to, to metal is, is sort of a, is, is sort of a solitary experience. And I don't mean that in a sort of say, like, I'm above everything else. Like, I don't, when sometimes when people talk about, like, I don't, you know, I don't play by the rules, man, or any of that sort of like, we, we cross genre boundaries. It's, it's, it can sound as if they're trying to be smarter than they am. Uh, it, but, but really, I, I go with, at this point, what I think I've learned to trust is a instinct to follow whatever makes me happy. Um, and whatever I find interesting in a given moment, which if I'm going to have a relative like a pretty small uh you know musical project that uh you know you got to be realistic about how many people are actually listening to this if you're if people are uh if if this isn't going to set the world on fire then like i might as well enjoy myself um and having people like devin townsend uh who clearly knows how to enjoy himself um and and be able to sort of say well i'm going to you know i'm going to write a country album and have it somehow be the best album he's put out in 10 years. Like, right. I, like, I, I, I have no qualifications to talk about country. Um, but you listen to, but as a, as a, as a Devin Townsend aficionado, Casualties of Cool is clearly the album that he is the most honest that he has put out in so long. And I mm -hmm. like most of his work, but you listen to that album and you're like, oh, this is actually what he wants to be doing. He just actually yeah. wants to chill. And that, I mean, and that's probably just because of, you know, after so many years of doing all of, making all of the noise that he has, like, you can understand that, like, this feels artistically honest. Um, and, and yeah, like, and so, and for some people who could say like, okay, well, you, you made an EP with a bunch of Princess Bride references. This is a gimmick. There's certainly those bands that exist. Um, but for for me it's not so much about uh trying to uh like it, it's it's not a it's not a it's not a joke it's if it, if it's a joke it's only in the sense of like i consider myself a person who has some silliness in him while also all these other things exist as well and devin townsend provides a model for like how you can be both like you listen to city that is he he will joke about or he will talk about how that album was uh, him making fun of heavy metal. Like he was him trying to take the piss out of something. But right. You listen to it and you go, no, you have issues. Like you, you were working through some personal issues and it seems to have, like, he seems to have come through it, but like that, that there is, um, if you listen to something that's imper you can listen to something that's really heavy, but impersonal, there's a layer of distance, like a, like a posturing or whatever from like, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to throw my horns up uh, in my leather vest and uh, proclaim Satan rules or whatever. But you listen to Devin Townsend and you're like, hmm, he doesn't seem well. And at the same, and then of course there's, you know, all this, you know, Satan's ice cream truck, uh, all the, all the, all the stuff that comes with it. And you're like, hmm, he, he seems to be going through some stuff and, and, and that, and allowing those sort of, all of those things to exist within one person is really helpful uh, for me because it means that like, oh, I can do that. Or no, I, to be clear, I can't do what Devin Townsend does, but it allows me to be like, yeah, I can, I can fill my artistic life with things that I find interesting, even if they're, uh, e even if 
they don't uh, always meet up with what people would expect. And that doesn't need to. That's There's nothing wrong with that. It's just, well, I would like to, I have things that I'm angry about. And I have also things that make me laugh and smile. Um, the, my favorite thing about, one of my favorite things about this project is that the, the name Domesticquam is a name that is weird enough and it fits in with all of the names of like your weird black metal projects. Um, it, it, it fits there, but the reality is that it's a pun on my last name. That's, that's, <laughs> that's what it is. I, I was, I spent, when I was first coming up with stuff, I was like, I would like to have a name that's like Mersbring or like any of those bands that I can't, whose names I can't pronounce. I would like right. to have a name like that. And then I was looking through, you know, all kind like I, looking up Latin dictionaries or something and just coming up with stuff. And I was like, well, if I mash, if I mash these two things together, the, these are the, these two things sort of form versions of what you could combine together to make my last name. And so, but if you put them together, that just sounds like a metal, like it sounds like a weird metal band. So like, yeah, yeah that's awesome. I'll, I'll I know what that. you're talking about. Yeah. I, I remember like when I was much younger during the early days of, the earlier days of the internet on pro boards, I remember I being on a, a web forum and sort of, and like the, the gist of it was make your own superheroes and like kind of do like an interactive RPG kind of thing. And I was like, Ooh, I'm going to create like this Lovecraft monster. And I remember just looking up, like, how do you say like the word bad in other languages? And you just like, and eventually I just like smashed like three different words together to create and i'm like oh that sounds like an alien monster name that's kind of the yeah. same like concept yeah you just you follow you have a, you have an idea for something that you would like to do and then you just sort of you, you just it's a question of like how how you get there it's like I, I would like to do this and so i did it uh and you know and, and that i think is how i find consistency within the the albums and eps that i put out so far which is um this was a thing that felt interesting to me at the time and so uh i did and since there's no one to tell me no uh uh you know i do it and so far I and mean, i have you know i have i have friends that i'll like run stuff past uh, and obviously and, and and in the case of that story about the second album a friend telling me that I should change my direction was actually very crucial, but like the, uh, but that was even, even then that was like him sort of pointing out things to me about myself that I didn't quite realize yet. Um, that actually like, Oh no, like this is, I don't think your heart's in this particular thing anymore. And I'm and me realizing, Oh yeah, I think you're right. Um, so yeah, I, I do what I like because it makes me happy. And, uh, uh, and the fact that, uh, anytime someone comes and talks to me and says like, I really like this song. This is what it meant to me. I was like, that's insane. Okay, cool. Great. I'm, yeah. I'm glad that it's not that it happens a lot, but like it, when it does happen, it's like, wow, you found, um, we did a video for the second track on the EP uh, for Queen of Putrescence. Um, and I had a very specific, again, like every other idea, it was just, okay, I want to do an homage to this old movie from the six, this old experimental movie from the sixties. Um, because I think that it plays with reality in a way that the song Queen of Putrescence also, the, the samples from that are from a part in the movie that doesn't exist. It's a dream sequence. 
So I thought this, these two things would pair nicely together. Um, mm -hmm. And we sent it over to Nine Circles, um, who <laughs> we have a connection with because I write for them sometimes. And so uh, it, wasn't, uh, it wasn't a hard pitch for them to be like, yeah, we'll premiere your video, I guess. So, uh, but, the, but, but when they, but when they the, the, the guy who wrote it up, he was coming up with all these descriptions of like, of his interpretation of the song in the video. And I was like, wow. That's intense. I, I, my, my thought process was very linear and straightforward about how I got to there, but like you're coming up with something that is really cool. Um, and your understanding of the song and the video and how it all works together is uh, even more considered than even my own necessarily my process, like going into it. Um, which is not to say I don't take this stuff seriously, but just like, no, I, I you know, I'm pretty, pretty content with, uh, how I've managed to sort of keep up my artistic uh, career in the last few years and that anyone at all is interested and finds like cool meaning out of it. I was like, wow, that's, that's the best thing I could hope for. Absolutely. It's always cool to see how other artists interpret other artists work and where they can push that. Yeah. And, and like in the occasions where I've done, uh, on the occasions where I've done, writing and reviewing for, for other bands. Uh, it's, it's always fun to sort of, because uh, I've been on the other side where people have said like, Oh, this is, you know, an interesting way to think about it. Uh, so, and I, I'm just like, I'm just going off of what I see there in the song. Uh, and, and for them to say like, well, that's, you know, you're kind of off base, but it's really cool that you did it. Uh, it's, it's, uh, and not going to try and take away anything from that experience. And now being on the other side where someone sees depth in the work that uh, even I didn't anticipate, it's like, okay, well, maybe there's something to this after all. <laughs> so now all that being said, if, is there anything that you love about being a Canadian besides Devin Townsend? <laughs> I have anytime I try and complain about being Canadian to my American friends, uh, the response is usually you have healthcare and your president isn't Trump. Get the fuck off. And, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and like a lot of the, which is fair. Like it, it you know, that's, uh, that's, I, I try and be careful around how I talk about the minutia of, of life in Canada, but like, essentially it just comes down to like, my feelings on Canada are somehow a lot of the same things that underpin a lot of the stuff going on in the States also exist in Canada. And yet somehow they're different and yeah. I'm not smart enough to know why they're different. And I don't want to think that. And, and, and for us, anytime we talk about like the problems in Canada, it's only because we don't want to, cause, cause, if you talk to enough Canadians, you'll, you'll definitely get a sense of smug superiority of like, well, you know, we're better than the Americans. Um, and I really, really tried to push against that. Um, uh, so like, I, there are things I like about being in Canada. Like, you know, the, my, I think my favorite thing about Canada these days is thinking back on the nineties alt rock bands that I thought were just popular everywhere, but no one outside of Canada has ever heard them. Like, yeah, like, you, you... like when, uh, when like, uh, the dude from, uh, what was that band? The, 
the huge Canada band, the tragically hip. Like when that was going on, it was just like, Hey, I'm going to die in like a week. Like that whole thing. Like, I mean, obviously it captivated Canada, but like that definitely trickled into like the States too, where it was like, Hey, our neighbors from North are having like this massive like tribute to Gore Gordy or whatever his name was from the tragically hip. And like, I just like, didn't, know that band and most people that i know don't know that like my mom was like i kind of knew who they were but like not really i didn't give a shit but she also but that but then like on this on the the same page she was like i'm incredibly moved by what's happening in canada right now because of like the response to it because it was like an emotional moment you know it was like I don't know. I mean, like I saw Rush on their farewell tour and that was like a big fucking deal too. Like when they decided to be like, yeah, we're done. And then obviously like Neil Peart died a few years ago and everybody was really sad. Plus like also Neil Young, like just is for whatever reason, Neil Young just feels like such an American musician. And it's just so funny that he's just like not an American musician. This, I think, should probably give you a sense of, like, the, the Canadians' desperation to be validated, I suppose. Um, <laughs> the guy on Eve, tw- the, the guy from Eve 6 uh, was posting on Twitter today or the other day about Our Lady Peace. And it was, like, it legitimately made me so happy that he was posting about Our Lady Peace. That shouldn't be a thing I care about. I haven't listened to Our Lady Peace in, like, fuck, 20 years. But, like, that, like any, anyone talking about Our Lady Peace, I'm like, oh, yeah clumsy fucking great album uh or you know anytime the occasion comes up for someone to talk about any of those cancon bands i'm just like yeah that's a big chunk of my life that no one talks about at this point because it feels like and that and if you're talking about like what what do i like about being a canadian at this point it's just sort of those like weird that weird canadian shit that like isn't necessarily huge in the grand scheme of life and where we're all going as a society but like yeah, let's talk about the fact that like Americans don't have all dress chips. Like, what the fuck? How do you not have all dress chips? Like, well, actually, we do. I saw them at the or, deli. No, the no, other day. apologies. No, it's ketchup chips. That's the one you don't have. Uh, and I'm yeah, just like, we don't have that because that's gross. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> it's good though. <laughs> but yeah, that 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 kind of shit where it's just like this is ultimately not important. But like all these things that I thought of as normal as a kid growing up and talking to my to my friends in the states and being like i don't know i'm sorry you just why can't i get fucking cheese curds like i don't get it like why can't i just go to the grocery yeah. store and get them every you would think that a snack based around pouring gravy and cheese curds over top of fries would be a thing that would just be sell like gangbusters in the states you think like like i every fast food i mean it's not it's not good poutine, but like every Canadian, like every fast food place up here at this point will sell you some kind of poutine, even if it's bad. Yeah, um, exactly. Like Harvey's, like I'm like, I never go to Harvey's because of their poutine. I go to Harvey's because they actually have like a good fast food burger in Canada versus like the fucking Whopper and uh, the Big Mac. And it, like it kicks those burgers out of the fucking park. I fight me on it. But like. I'm not going to get their fucking poutine. I'm going to go to the fucking grease hole and get some fucking poutine if I'm in Canada. Yeah. The, we actually, my favorite, uh, um, there's a, there's a guy who moved out 
here in Western Canada from, from Montreal, who basically started his own uh, Montreal smoked meat uh, and poutine. Uh-oh. BRB. So anyway, you were saying about smoked meat. <laughs> yeah, so there's a there's a guy who lives pretty close to us who came out from Montreal and he started a restaurant entirely dedicated to just bringing all of the Montreal Quebec uh, uh, foods out there. So Montreal smoked meat, poutine, tortillas, like all that French Canadian shit. And it is it's been a lifesaver for me because, like, again, there are you know you can get poutine at fast food places here but like he knows how to do it right he knows the real shit and uh uh and that's just sort of been a that's just sort of been a lifesaver for me as far as like getting the real especially since now since like you know can't go anywhere i can't actually go to you know fly across the country or whatever for any reason i just sort of like i have this guy here who's just running his small shop uh that i can you know get the real shit so that's that's probably my second favorite thing about being Canadian at this point. <laughs> Are you a Calgary Flames fan? I, you know, I was there. Like, I we moved to Calgary when I the year that they actually made their big run at the at the Cup. They they lost famously uh, in, a, in a call that people are still pissed about. Like twenty years later, people are still angry about this one call that caught that they say cost them the series. But like that was the year that uh, uh, that was the year that like the entire like one of the big main drags in the city just in t- like hundreds of thousands of people just flooded the streets all wearing their red jerseys. And I lived downtown at that time, so like I was there for it, and it was hard not to get swept up. And even I didn't grow up in Calgary, um, so I didn't have that sort of attachment to the Flames. But it was it was it was you just everyone got swept up in it, and it was a lot of fun. Uh, for for then and then for like the next few years afterwards so it's uh yeah i'd probably call myself a flames fan at this point right on got some friends who are diehard flames fans yeah my my sports loyalties are to my to my hometown uh the saskatchewan rough riders canadian football i know everyone hates it like even i have a a lot of my canadian friends even to say you know fuck the cfl it's just nfl all the way but uh when it comes to sports fandoms, I don't actually think I'd be hard pressed to think of a fandom in professional sports that I would put up against the the Rough Rider fandom. There, let's put it this way, and it's not that's not always a good thing either. Um, one of our long term players, uh, a kicker named Paul McCallum, we had him on the team for years. He was beloved; everyone just absolutely adored this guy. And then he cost us the championship game once on a on a missed punt. And someone dumped manure on his lawn, and the guy immediately requested to be traded somewhere else. Wow! <laughs> like that, uh, it, it's not when it's good; it's great. It can be kind of rough, though. It's like Boston teams. Yeah, um, when uh, when we go to when when the Riders come up to Calgary, actually to play, half of the stadium is filled with Rider fans, which is probably just because we all wanted to get out of Saskatchewan, but. Uh, uh, but that's like the the following is there. Like the the riders will actually put up billboards in Calgary, uh, 
which I don't, I, that seems wild to me. You would put up billboards for an away team in someone else's city, but yeah, they do. <laughs> it, it works great. It, it plays because at least like at least a quarter of Calgary's population is former Saskatchewan people, I think. So they actually try and like milk that for all it's worth. I'm from New Jersey. So it's literally just like when the team loses, you just kind of hang your head in shame and be like, well, that's the that, evening. That That's what it means to be. That's what it means to cheer for your team. You cheer for them all the time, even when they go on like a 10 year streak of doing absolutely nothing. It's yeah. Like, I know yeah. all about that. <laughs> I know all about that. Well, I mean, at this point, like, uh, you know, you've got the the EP coming back out on Phil K. Disc. Is there anything else you want to plug? Uh, yeah, I mean, definitely check out the, you know, all the stuff that uh, Phil K. Disc is, is doing. They, they tend to do a lot of, like, fun, weird stuff. Uh, and I pretty much have their entire collection, even before, you know, I started putting out tapes with them. Uh, the i'd say also and yeah if you want to check out the you know all of all sort of chart my musical journey through like not just hear about the conversation we just had the you know all my stuff's on uh on my own personal band camp as well uh the other thing the other big thing i'm doing these days is a movie podcast with my buddy chris it's called uh, cinema duel uh we once a month uh get together and pick a pick a theme and then just talk about some movies because I think what Chris and I like to do the most these days is just talk about movies with each other. So that sounds like fun. I, I would be down to talk about some movies. Hey, we'd, uh, we'd love to have you like we, and we, and we can tend like when we're, when we're not paying close enough attention uh, to our own tendencies, we can like veer towards like the arty stuff. Like we were big criterion people. Um, but then we also will like, we've done episodes on, star trek like we we try and like we try and get out of the the white guy cinema like the the shitty white movie guy thing yeah the cinema snob yeah yeah we we try and uh and and for me i feel like i can do that because i never grew up with any of that stuff so like for me it's just an honest like i don't know what i'm doing i'm just gonna go watch these cool art movies and then like wow this is cool i like this um, but then also be like, yeah, I want to talk about Tron. I want to talk about Condor Man. Like, let's let's talk about like weird shit that I grew up with that like <laughs> is probably garbage, but like, you know, it's fun. I mean, look, I'm a huge Godzilla fan. You know, I have appreciation for any kind of like genre of like that kind of genre that kind of effort like so any you know and like 80s creature features anything with a monster you know i'm pretty much down so like i can absolutely appreciate like a great you know sort of like you know if you want to call like already kind of artsy kind of film you know like whatever like mulholland drive fuck yeah i'll fuck with that but like you want to watch like all the like you know fast and furious movies yeah, of course I'm gonna watch all of them like in their absurdity. Yeah, that's you all look at it like essentially under the same spectrum. Of course, I'm. I have been patiently waiting for uh, the "I Hope You Suffer" podcast, which has been a previous guest uh, on your show. Yes, I mean huge fan. I, I'm patiently waiting for them to do Wolf Cop because the second that they started doing their uh, podcast, I said, "When you do Wolf Cop." You come and talk to me. That was shot in my hometown. I want to do an episode on Wolf Cop. Oh, that's dope. And, 
they promised that when they hit episode 200, which is like, I don't know, two years from now, they're going to do Wolf Cop. So I'm just, oh. if you're listening, uh, uh, Nathan, uh, Kit, Kit and Katie. Katie. Uh, yeah. If you're listening, folks, I'm still here. I'm still waiting for that Wolf Cop invite. I mean, they're on episode 132. So like, you know, next year sometime, like we'll probably be getting a half. Okay. We'll probably be getting that Wolf Cop episode. So, like, yeah, definitely stay tuned. I'm supposed to pop up on an episode at some point on that show. And uh, there's an upcoming episode of Defenders of the Cake where Nathan educated me on all the Ernest movies, which was not, I mean, like, you know, I didn't watch all of them because I didn't have it in me. But, like, I watched four of them. And, like, that was an experience that I'm not going to go into right now. You can listen to a whole podcast about that coming out probably later in this month in March. I don't like for, for me, it's Ernest Sage Christmas. That's the one, like I've seen a handful of the other ones, but for me, Ernest Sage Christmas is the one that I would actually willingly watch at this point. Like I would sign up and watch that again. I liked Ernest scared stupid the best. I was, when I was a kid, my parents were very protective of the movies that I watched, and with good reason. Like, I had nightmares watching, like, Disney movies and stuff. <laughs> so, like, Ernest Scared Can Stupid is one that they did not really vibe with. Um, I probably should watch that one again, because uh, I'm sure it's, it's Ernest. Who cares? But, uh, the, but yeah, that's... Uh, I think that's one I'd probably watch. I think I want to watch also Ernest Goes to Jail, because if I remember correctly, yeah. I think he electrocutes someone. He, he like, basically turns into like Emperor Palpatine yeah. slash slash like a human magnet. That is, yeah. But no, I we actually watched Ernest Saves Christmas last December during our like let's watch some Christmas movies, and I was like, you know what? I still enjoy this. This is still fun. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't, I won't want to get into it because there's literally oh, yeah, a two and a half hour podcast you can listen to about it. But like, I definitely felt like Ernest scared stupid Christmas and goes to jail. I'm like, I can get behind these. They're dumb, obviously, but like, yeah. I can get behind them. I actually thought that his first film, Goes to Camp, was probably the most like dicey, like looking back on it because it's just like it's just so indicative of that like raw eighties period where it's like, we can do anything. Like it doesn't matter how offensive it is. And there's so many things where I'm like, wow, this is dicey. Yeah. I, I, if I don't go into the larger earnest oeuvre, it's, it's probably because I'm worried about that. Yeah. There's that movie. I was like, I did some, (sighs) which is why I'm glad I watched it. Like, I guess I watched that movie second and I watched the Scared Stupid first. And I was like, okay, I'm glad I watched Scared Stupid first because I was like, yeah, there's some stuff in this that's not like great, but for the most part, it's generally harmless. And like, and at most, you could be like, well, this happened because it was made during this time. And that's kind of like the excuse. It's not a great excuse, but that's the excuse. Yeah. I, also remember that one of the plot points in Ernest Saves Christmas is that the guy who will eventually become Santa is an actor who is working on a movie called Santa Slay, which is a slasher horror, like a slasher movie. Yep. About Santa, and I'm and I'm pretty sure that in the years since then, someone's actually done that. I oh think- yeah, we talked about it on my on my uh, my get, one of my guest appearances on my friend's podcast where we're talking about wrestling movies because we watched it. They also talked about it, I Hope You Suffer. But yeah, that is a movie starring Goldberg as an evil Santa. There you go. Yeah. So it's... Predicts the future. Yeah. 
uh, like just with a lot of very famous people in it and like, you know, produced by Brett Ratner, who is a a big shit Hollywood producer and B is just a giant piece of shit. <laughs> oh, yeah. He, he made the worst. Well, I haven't been keeping up with the X-Men movies, but of the original X-Men movies, he made the he made the worst one. Yes. Uh, sure. And apparently, yeah, giant piece of shit. Yeah. But you can Google that. So, but yeah, in the meantime, um, go check out all of uh, John's stuff on his, on his band camp over at domestic band camp, or you can find the, the EP over at Philip K discs. Um, is there anything else I'm missing in terms of like plugging for you? No, I think we're good. Uh, yeah. That plus the, the cinema dual podcast is pretty much what I got going on these days. Yeah. And uh, yeah, if we can line something up, just keep an eye out. Maybe I'll uh, make a guest appearance on that because that sounds like something that I would that would be fun to to join in on. My podcast philosophy is get people to talk about shit that they really love. So <laughs> what you really love to talk about, and we'll find a way to talk about it. All right. Well, we'll figure that out. But uh, in the meantime, thanks for coming on Diary of Doom. Really appreciate it. This was a really good chat. I might split this into like two parts, okay. um, just because we went for a little while, but. Yeah, this was great. I really had a good time checking out your music and having a chat and, you know, stay safe and all that. And uh, that'll do it for this chapter of the diary. Yeah, no worries. Thanks so much for having me.